0: Well, today, as we explore the Christmas I never knew, we're looking at one of the most overlooked people of the Christmas story, Joseph. Joseph is often overlooked because we don't have any of his words recorded. We know what he did, but we don't know anything about what he said other than he obeyed the Spirit promptly, he was faithful to the Lord. But I want you to think for a moment what it would have been like to be Joseph. To have both the joy and the incredible responsibility of caring for God's son. Now, I can tell you, we have, we have five children, one in heaven, four on earth. And they are precious to me. And when I first held my daughter in my arms... It was a moment in which my soul was encapsulated with two equally powerful emotions that were almost overwhelming, joy and absolute terror, because joy in seeing this precious little princess, and she's 30 years old now, and I still call her my princess, and I will till, uh, till I, I die, but seeing her was just filling with joy. And then, filling with this overall overwhelming weight of responsibility, but then to think about who would I entrust this child that has been given to me to if i wasn 't able to fulfill my duties as a father for Rebecca and I, that was a difficult journey to to go through, thinking about who will we entrust our children to if something happens to us, if we were to 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 die or become unable to care for them, who would we choose? Think about that from God's perspective. He's choosing a man that we have none of his words recorded, but he's choosing a man to be father in his place to his only son. It was amazing enough that God who had spent eternity united in beautiful love and fellowship, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was going to take on human flesh and become a helpless child. But then to entrust that helpless child into the arms of a sinful human with all of our failures, what would that have been like? I've discovered as I've looked afresh at Joseph that he is an incredible man, a man who obeyed the spirit promptly, a man of immeasurable courage, a man who made choices that are examples for us to follow. And so that's what we want to look at. What do we discover about Joseph? There's not a lot of detail, but there's some things that we can find in the scripture. And so we're going to begin there in Matthew chapter one, verse 20. And try to discern a little bit about who Joseph is and what we can learn from his life. Well, well, the first thing we discover in verse 20 is that Joseph was of royal blood. He's a son of David. That's what it says. As he considered these things, which I I love that statement. I mean, think about Joseph. He's been been presented, first of all, with the reality that his fiancé is pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. And I'm sure Mary was explaining things to to him, and and he wanted to believe her, but that would be a lot to believe, okay? Just a lot to believe. Um, And so he's considering this. He's, He's weighing it. He's praying about it. And as he's considering it, as he's praying about it, an angel appears in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, he's addressed by his lineage. He's addressed by the fact that you are a direct descendant in the line of David. You are descended through Solomon. You come from the city of David, Bethlehem. You're of royal blood. He's addressing him by his position as well as by his name. His name means he shall add. And God certainly added to Joseph. He added to his faith. He added to his family. And he blessed him in mighty ways. And so we see that he's a descendant. And we're going to look at the lineage, the uh, genealogy of Jesus a little bit next week as we uh, look both at Matthew's account and Luke's account and exploring who God chose to be in this, this royal Heritage that he gave him, but he's in the kingly line. And Joseph, we discover in Luke chapter two, Joseph had been living in Nazareth in the in Galilee in the northern part of Israel, but his hometown was Bethlehem. That's what it tells us in Luke chapter two, verses one through four. That in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his hometown, his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now I want you to put a post-it note right there for just a second, a pause, and think about what that meant he was going to a huge family reunion, okay? He's traveling back to his hometown where all of his relatives are from, generation after generation after generation. Now think about that in the fact that there was no place for them to stay, okay? Perhaps hundreds of relatives, but nowhere to stay. Now, what does that tell you? I don't know about you, but when I go to family reunions on my side, I won't say anything about my wife's side, on my side, one thing happens, gossip, okay? All the stories about what all the cousins are doing wrong is what comes out. Anybody, anybody else have a family that's like mine? This could be why I haven't spoken to any of my cousins in a few decades. Um, but in, anyway, um, we've lived in very, very different parts of the world, but... Um, that's what it's like. Oftentimes that what's, that's what would have been happening. And, and can you imagine if you're Joseph, it's like, okay, first you get this incredible news that your wife is pregnant and you know, you're not the father. Then you get this vision from the Lord, from the angel that he, that child is conceived of the Holy Spirit and God himself has chosen you to raise him. And what's the first thing he asks you to do? Go spend time with all your estranged relatives so that they can make fun of you. Thank you. Just what I was hoping for, okay? That's what happened. You know, we got to read a little bit between the lines to understand the emotional impact of what this was like for Joseph. And what does he do? He obeys the Spirit promptly. Knowing that the cost is going to be high, knowing that they're going to be rejected, he goes there immediately because he wants to honor the Lord. Well, the scripture gives us a little more insight into him. Not only is he from from Bethlehem, but living in Nazareth, not only is he in the, the royal line of David for the throne, uh, the scripture reveals to us in Matthew chapter 13 that he was a builder, um, most likely a carpenter, although if you've been to um, to To Israel, there's not a lot of trees, and so oftentimes things were made of stone. There are far more houses that are made of stone than that were made of wood, but he was a builder. The word in Greek is tekton. It's the word we get um, uh, technical from, and he was a builder, most likely a carpenter. tells us this in Matthew 13, verses 53 through 56 and this is speaking about Jesus, it said, and when Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, which is Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Speaking of Joseph. Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So it's telling us that Joseph was a carpenter. He was a builder. We also discover something important there that Jesus had, uh, how many stepbrothers and sisters did he have? Did you you notice there? At least six. Four half-brothers and at least two, his sisters. So there's at least two, two sisters. Okay, there you go. It's from the Scripture. Important to know. Mark chapter 3, we have a similar passage. Excuse me, Mark chapter 6, we have a similar passage that says this. Is this, speaking of Jesus, is this not the carpenter? And what that tells us is that not only was Joseph a carpenter, but he trained up Jesus to be a carpenter as well. From the time He was a youth until he was perhaps 30 years of age. Jesus worked as a carpenter. And he was trained and tutored by his father or stepfather, Joseph. Joseph taught the Savior the skills of a carpenter. Carpenters love wood. They love its feel, the beauty of the grain, the smell of the sawdust. They love shaping it in their hands so that it will fit perfectly within a, within a groove in such a way that the two pieces can become even stronger than one. At some point, it is very clear that Jesus knew he would die on a cross, on a tree. He would have known that, and it's so appropriate because sin began with a tree. And sin came to an end on a tree, on a piece of wood. How often, I wonder, did Jesus ponder as he's working a piece of wood what the crucifixion was going to be like, what it was going to be like to endure that agony and the separation from God the Father because of our sin. I can imagine with each piece of wood he worked on, he saw both the beauty And the trial, the beauty of creation and the difficulty of redemption. So Jesus would have learned his love for wood from Joseph. Every time he drove a nail, perhaps he heard the hearkening sounds of the nails that would one day be driven through his own flesh. He learned it from Joseph. We also see that Joseph made some very specific choices in his life that are choices we need to follow. Our character is revealed through the choices that we make. How we respond to circumstances that we face is what makes a life of faith. It is not the knowledge that we possess. God could have chosen a scholar to raise his son But he chose a man of character, a man of labor, a man of love instead. The knowledge was given to Jesus through the Holy Spirit as he developed as both fully God and fully human. But the character he learned from the choices of his stepfather, Joseph. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And we have to understand in that day, a betrothal was far more than an engagement. It was a legal binding contract. You were married in every way except for the ceremony and the consummation of having intimacy together. In every other way, contractually, when you were betrothed, it was at a legal agreement. And the only way it could be broken was through a divorce. So that's the circumstances. And it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man. That's his character. That's how God in his word describes Joseph. Joseph ends up making A decision. He was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And that leads us to the first choice. Joseph chose righteousness and relationship over reputation. You see, the most natural thing for him to have done would have been either to shame Mary or to to make the choice to at least get out of the relationship and save his own reputation. But that's not what he chose to do. He valued doing what was right, and he valued the relationship. From a human perspective, he may have been tempted to believe he is betrayed by Mary until the angel appears to him and gives him a fuller understanding of the story. He had every legal right to divorce her, but that's not what he chose. Later on, it says, as he considered these things, the angel appeared and gives him the instruction. And so what Joseph did was Joseph chose love over liberty. He chose to respond to the circumstances with love and obedience rather than to seek his own freedom and his own autonomy. He was free to walk away. He had not done anything to deserve the challenge that was ahead of him, the trial that he was going to face, but he loved Mary, and more importantly, he loved God. He discovered that God had an incredible plan for his life, as well as that of Mary, and especially for the child Jesus. God had an incredible plan, and he had revealed a portion of that plan to Joseph. And he entrusted Joseph with the incredible responsibility of giving the Son of God his earthly name. You see, that was the right of a Jewish father. It was one of the things that you would do that no matter whether you were a good father or a bad father, you would claim that right as your own. And on the eighth day of his life, when he would walk into the temple and dedicate the child, much like Alexa was dedicated today, it would be the time where you determined the name that would go with that child because it was a statement not only about who they were, but what they would do and who they would become. It was an imprint upon their life of the character that the father expected. And Joseph obediently followed the instruction of the Lord and named him Yeshua, Yeshua. Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. He named him the gospel. He followed through. And it would have been incredibly difficult because first he had to go to Bethlehem where all the relatives were, where there would be shame and difficulty. Then there was physical threat. We lead, read later in the story that Herod was coming to kill Jesus, Jesus, and so again, the Holy Spirit, um, through an angel, appears in a dream and directs him to flee to another country and go to Egypt. And then later on, after um, that comes to pass, it's revealed that Herod has died and he goes back to Nazareth, which Nazareth wouldn't have been a fun place to go back to either. That's where Mary became pregnant. Everybody in Nazareth knew Joseph either had relationships with her before they got married or he wasn't the father. So all over again, he would have faced the difficulty and the shame and the questions and the whispers. But he chose love over liberty. Most importantly, I believe Joseph chose courage over comfort. And taking Mary to be his wife and choosing to care for the child Jesus, it would be costly to Joseph. It cost him his reputation, most likely. I mean, think about it. We know how humanity works. If you're going to hire a contractor, are you going to hire the one who's got the bad reputation because supposedly, you know, he did what was not approved of by culture, by society, or by the law? It would have impacted him in many different ways. But God provided. The Lord was gracious. He had courage. He had courage to obey the Lord again and again and again. As a follower of Jesus, I believe we need to have at least three types of courage that are all illustrated in the life of Joseph. Number one, we need to have the courage to take the world's scorn and shame. What could Joseph tell the people around him that they would believe? Everyone assumed that they knew the story, that they knew the truth. And there were all different kinds of tales. But the last thing any of them would have believed was what really happened. That the Holy Spirit had sent a Savior through a humble girl and a humble carpenter there to be the stepfather to bring us salvation. He would have faced shame in Bethlehem and in Nazareth because faith is costly. And we need to remember that. We will face a certain amount of adversity for making a stand for Christ. The world will not understand the choices that we make. It takes courage to be obedient It takes courage to share your faith with others, but they desperately need to know the truth of our Savior. Secondly, to follow Christ, we need the courage to give up control and self-determination. It takes courage to deny yourself. And Joseph did that. He did that time and time again in raising Jesus in caring for Mary and later in caring for his other children as well. And thirdly, to follow Christ, we need the courage to admit that we are a sinner. In obedience in naming Jesus, Joseph admitted that he too needed a Savior. By giving Jesus his name, he was acknowledging that all the world, needed a savior, including himself. He was a sinner. He fell short. Even though he was chosen by God for an incredible role, he still had a personal sin problem that had to be dealt with. Just like each and every one of us, he needed a savior. And how humbling to have the boy that you raise be the one that you have to call upon to be your salvation. And yet every indication is, Because of his obedience that Joseph very willingly and joyfully did that. The fourth choice that Joseph made is Joseph chose to worship. He chose to worship the Lord. What we see revealed in the scripture is that he's following the instruction of the scriptures. He's following what the prophets are saying about the Savior, about who he would be. And he's being obedient. God chose wisely when he chose Joseph to care for his son. He chose a man of righteousness, of love, of courage, and of worship. And there is no greater legacy that we can pass on to our children than those. Jesus was God in flesh, but he was also fully human. He had to develop and grow, and God chose Joseph to teach Jesus life lessons, not just about carpentry, but about being a man, about character, about love. What an incredible responsibility. Jesus would have learned these things from his stepfather. He saw love on display He learned courage. He would have grown up hearing the questions about himself and about his parents. He learned worship and obedience from his stepfather as well. We see him taking Jesus uh, to Jerusalem to, to the temple. Joseph is leading his family in worship to go and to celebrate the feasts as they're commanded. And, and Jesus comes along and of course Jesus goes and we discover and he spends time in the temple and he's, he's discussing with the priests and with the scribes the things that, uh, of the deep things of God and yet Joseph's the one who took him year after year faithfully. Now we don't know much about Joseph after that point when Jesus is 12 years old Um, We don't know how long he lived. It it seems apparent by his absence in the scripture later on that he died sometime between when Jesus was 12 and 30. Um, Tradition, and that's all it's based on, um, says that he died when, when Jesus was 18. But there's really nothing to base that on. But he's out of the picture. But during those early years of his life, Joseph invested an incredible amount in Jesus and there's some consequences, some rewards of Jesus' cho- choices. Joseph chose righteousness over reputation and gained honor. Joseph is a man of incredible character. He was well named because he reflected Joseph of the Old Testament in so many ways in his purity, in his obedience, in his willingness to sacrifice. They're very similar. Joseph chose love over liberty and gained a family. When we read that there, we see that, that there are at least six other children that he raised, that he cared for, he was the father of. And he must have done an incredible job because two of them became great leaders in the church. James, the Gospel of James is, the, uh, is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, he was an early leader of the church, who was killed for his faith. And Jude, the little book of Jude, is also a half brother of Jesus, where he wrote and spoke against um, apostasy in the church about spiritual truth. Now, these brothers and sisters, we we see in the in the gospel that at first they didn't believe Jesus was the Savior. But they had learned some good lessons along the way. And after the resurrection, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But their spiritual training was in large part due to Mary and to Joseph who prepared the way so that they might become great men and women of faith. Joseph chose courage over comfort and gained salvation. The Lord is our Savior. And Joseph chose worship and gained Emmanuel. And that's what I want to in with. If you would, we, we read here in the scripture, it quotes from Isaiah 7 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means three specific things. Number one, it means that Jesus is God. Secondly, that Jesus is human. And thirdly, that Jesus is with us. Those are all components of his name. And it's exactly what we see later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is given, to us excuse me, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what Joseph gained. He gained Emmanuel, God with us. And he was able to see, lived out in front of him, who Jesus was. He knew his identity from before his birth and he was able to see that come to life day after day, year after year in Jesus' life. This passage where it says, for unto us a child is born... And to us, a son is given is incredibly important because it proclaims the dual nature of Jesus Christ. A child is born, the Messiah was to be fully human. A son is given, the Messiah was to be a gift from God that already existed from eternity past. He was divine, fully God. This is why we have this most famous verse in the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son He gave him in the incarnation and he gave him in the crucifixion for you and for me. That Jesus fully God and fully man was the only one who could bear our sin. He is God with us. And even in communion, we see this dual nature revealed. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the elements of of communion with the bread and the cup. And here we see these two aspects of who Jesus is portrayed. In the bread, we see his humanity. He is the bread of life, the child that was given, who lived a perfect, sinless life, just as this bread is unleavened, It it, it has no evidence of sin, just as Jesus had no evidence because he lived a perfect sinless life. When we take of the bread, we're remembering Emmanuel that Jesus is fully human. He is the one who can give us life. But also, the cup reflects his divinity. Because he is the one who could forgive sins. No one else can forgive sins, only God. His blood was poured out to cover over your sin and my sin. And so even in the Lord's Supper and communion, we see the Christmas story of Jesus, who is fully God, becoming fully human to be with us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I think about the Christmas story because it's all through the scripture. And today as we partake of the bread and the cup, we will remember it's Emmanuel. These elements represent that. Joseph understood that. He had been, he had been told through the vision who Jesus was and he lived a life of obedience to the Lord in caring for him as his very own. He had courage. He made difficult choices. He was entrusted with an incredible gift, but also a great responsibility. And so are each of us. You have been given the opportunity to receive the gift of Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. The scripture tells us to simply call upon his name and we will be saved. That's an incredible gift. But with that gift comes a responsibility to make choices that are honoring to the fact that not only is he savior, he is also Lord of lords. That means he is in absolute control. We need to surrender our lives to be obedient to him in every area. So as we approach this Christmas season and we remember the gift that we're given, let us also remember the responsibility because Jesus is both fully man and fully God. And we must approach him as such. We must make choices that honor him. We must be obedient to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Joseph. And Lord, I know I only skipped a stone over the surface today. But I pray that as as we go from here and we read through your scripture um, during this Christmas time, Lord, would you bring to light through your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word more understanding, Lord, so that we can follow the example of Joseph, to be men and women of courage to be men and women who obey the Spirit promptly. When you reveal what you want us to do, that we won't doubt, that we won't second guess, but instead will be obedient to you and follow through. Lord, teach us to worship as Joseph did and to raise up our families and encourage our friends to have lives of worship that are given to you not only as Savior, but also as Lord. Lord, would you imprint that upon our hearts this day, we pray. and Lord Jesus, as we come to your table, we remember you. In the bread, we remember that you gave your life, gave your body for us. You stepped out of heaven and took on human flesh so that you could become the savior that we needed. You are the giver and sustainer of life just as bread sustains us physically. The gift of your body sustains us spiritually. It is only through you that we can have eternal life. But you are fully divine as well and you poured out your blood in the new covenant to cover over our sin, to give us forgiveness. So as we come to the table, we remember you We ask your blessing upon this bread. We ask your blessing upon this cup. And we ask your blessing upon us that we may live lives that are fully given to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite um, the servers to come and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As you take of the bread and of the cup, do so examining your heart, asking the Lord to reveal anything in your own heart and life that stands between you and Him and confess it and turn from it. It also is, the Lord's Supper is something that's for believers. It's for, if you've placed your trust personally in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then we invite you to come And to celebrate this incredible picture of who Jesus is. So as we worship together, we invite you to come and have of the bread and of the cup.